Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. And could it be that this is the reason why this series that I've been doing is talking about aligning ourselves with the will of God that we are certain. If he is coming soon, we want to be aligned with the will of God. We want to know what the will of God is. We want to walk within the framework of the will of God for our lives. And we want to put first things first in our lives. And so if you haven't been here with us, just a quick review. We've talked about Aligning ourselves with the will of God and the will of God in Scripture reveals to us these truths. Number one, he wants, not in, in any particular order, but he wants all men to be saved, number one, and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants every one of us to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. He wants us all also to maintain a spirit-filled life. He wants us to be baptized in water. If you haven't been baptized in water, you need to be. You should be baptized in water because it's an act of obedience to do what he's told us to do. And then you want to see to it that you live a life that is sanctified and set apart to God. This is the scripture that tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us this is the will of God, even our sanctification, that we possess our bodies in sanctification and in honor. And then, of course, he wants us to support his work financially to fund the kingdom of God. And we should do that. Follow Jesus daily, every day of our lives. He wants us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him daily. He also wants to see to it uh, that we take our place within the body of Christ because there are no unused members within the body of Christ. Take your place. Do your part. Find out where you fit in. Seek the face of God with that regard. And then also, last week, we talked about walking by faith or living by faith. For the just shall live by faith. And how many times in Scripture do we hear that statement made? Four times. Habakkuk talks about it. Romans talks about it. Galatians talks about it. And so does the book of Hebrews. Four times it says, the just shall live by faith. Now, if he would have said the just shall live by doubt and unbelief, we'd all have it made. Every one of us. It's easy to do. But the just shall live by what? And number 10 is today, we walk in love. It is the will of God for every single one of us, no matter who we are, that we make a decision that we're going to walk in the realm of God's love for our lives. Look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. This is from the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible. Therefore, be imitators of God. The King James says followers, but be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, when the Bible speaks of the walk of the believer, it really reveals a lot of truth. It talks about our walk, our conduct, our character, the way we uh, present ourselves, the course of action that we take in life. For example, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm, the first Psalm, blessed is the man who does not walk 
in the counsel of the ungodly. We're told not to walk in darkness. We're told to walk in the light. We're told to walk circumspectly. We're told to walk by faith and not by sight. And here we're told to walk in love. Why? Because that's how we imitate God. To imitate, it means to follow someone else, a model. You've got a role model, someone that you're going to copy, someone that you're going to mimic. Jesus is our model. In the King James, it says, even as, even as what? Christ loved us and gave himself sacrificially for, our, for us, for our redemption. And so if we then are going to follow that example, he's our model. How are we going to love one another? The same way he loved us, which was what? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. So he laid down his life for all of us. And that means we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Do you have chapter and verse for that? I'm glad you asked. First John uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what it says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought, which means we owe it to him to lay down our lives for the brethren. We owe it to him to lay down. Our, what does that mean? He poured himself out unto death. You know what it means? God who is love, not has love, but who is love, poured himself out completely. When the Bible says he rests in his love, you know what that means? He completely poured himself out, all the love that he has, that he is, he poured it out as an offering to God on our behalf. That means all that he suffered, all that he took, the wrath of God upon himself, the curse that he became, our sin, sickness, mental anguish, disease, he took it all upon himself and then completely emptied himself. Completely. There was nothing more to give. God is resting in his love for us in the person of his son who sacrificially offered his life for all of us. Now, what are we supposed to do? Lay on our lives for one another. Wow. What do you think about that? What does that speak to you? What does it say to you? To me, to all of us. You see, God is love. Selfishness is the opposite of love. Not hatred. Selfishness. God poured himself out in love. And when we talk about, I want more of God and less of self, less of me, you know what you're saying. I want more of love and less of selfishness. Isn't selfishness the number one thing besides pride and arrogance that we deal with in our lives? We want our needs to be met. We want ourselves to be taken care of. And of course, there's a measure of tr truth to that. We should look out for ourselves but the point is, when Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, he was the father of liars. He was the father of rebellion. He is the one who is the very opposite of who God is. Instead of loving, he was selfish, self-willed, self-centered. He was only concerned about himself, and that's it. And so it's important that we recognize the fact that if we want more of God, then we've got to have less of self. If we want more of God, then we've got to walk in more of love. Because walking in love is walking in God. And as long as we're walking in selfishness, we are limiting God in our lives. We're not walking with him. And the Apostle Paul was one who really understood that. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 3. Look at what it says in the first few verses. Or 13, I'm sorry. Though I speak, this is from the King James. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not what? The word charity there really is agape. It's the divine love of God that's 
translated charity, not love, because it wanted to stand out as a different kind of love. We'll talk about that later. But I am become a sounding brass. Notice what Paul is saying about himself. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, if charity is not the motivating force behind it, guess what? I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, I'm making a lot of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, if that's not the driving, motivating force behind it, then what? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Notice what he said about love. If love is not the motivating force behind everything that I do, then I am nothing. I'm making a lot of noise, and it's not profiting me anything. Those are the three things he says, that if he himself was not motivated by love. So when we talk about our giving, are we really giving out of love for God? When we talk about helping other people, is love motivating us to do that? Is it driving us to do that? Or is it to be seen of men? Remember when Jesus talked about three disciplines of the believer's life? Pray when you pray. Don't to be seen of men when you give. Don't do it to be seen of men. When you fast, don't do it to be seen of men. In other words, the motive is not for those accolades that come from human beings. We do these things out of a love for God, out of compassion for lost humanity. Because we want to know God, walk with God. And we want God to be greater, greater uh, manifested within our lives. So Paul is saying this, if, if love is not motivating me, well then, can you imagine this? If I give my body to be burned, it's not benefiting me. Uh, you can't go further than that as far as giving yourself, can you? So if I give my body to be burned, but love is not the motive behind that, it doesn't benefit me at all. So God wants us all to search our hearts and try our reins and let him do that and, and make sure and certain that What's motivating us and driving us is this love of God, which we'll see about the scope of it. Look at the next thing. The scope of God's love. Look at Mark's gospel. The scope of God's love. Here, we're supposed to love God. And then we're supposed to love ourselves. We're supposed to love our neighbors and so on. But let's read this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, that's pretty thorough, wouldn't you say? With all your heart, meaning the core of your very being, your spirit, man, with all your soul, talks about your emotions, are to be engaged and involved in loving God. With all your mind means the decisions that we make in this life. And, in all, uh, and then also our actions with our strength, the strength of our physical being, talking about our actions. We're to love God with all those things, our core, our emotions, our decisions, and our, and our uh, actions. For this is the first commandment. And then the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So you love your neighbor as yourself. So now you've got loving God with all uh, your powers, with all your being. Love yourself. You notice, love your neighbor as yourself. So do you love yourself? We should love ourselves. How can you love your neighbor as yourself? If you, if you love your neighbor yourself and you don't like yourself... I pity your neighbor. <laughs> They're in for a yeah, bit of trouble, I guess. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then it goes from there. Love others. 
Jesus then raised the bar on that and said, love others as I have loved you. So he took that, he raised that bar up higher and says, now not just as you love yourself, but as I loved you. And I poured myself out as a sacrificial offering to God as a sweet smelling savor, which is what I want you to do. And then finally, it goes even a little bit further than that. If we really want to emulate the very life of God, if we want to mature in the things of God, if we want God's love to really manifest itself in us in a powerful and glorious way, transforming our lives, love your enemy. Did he have to say that? Look at Matthew's gospel chapter. Did he have to say that? Lord, what were you thinking when you made this declaration? Let's read it. My goodness. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, that's what they live by. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, I'm raising the bar now, you love your enemies. Can you imagine sitting down listening to someone talk to you about that way back in the day of the old covenant? Love your, no, he doesn't just tell you to love them. He tells you how to love them. Bless them that curse you. Which means speak well of those that speak evil of you. Do good to them that hate you. Mm. And pray for them. Which despitefully use and abuse you. And persecute you. Why? That you may be the children of your father. Remember what Ephesians said? We're supposed to do what? Walk in love even as he loved us. As dear children. Which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore what? Mature. Even as your Father which is in heaven is what? Now that's a lot. That's an awful lot, wouldn't you say? What is the goal of the Christian life? To follow Jesus so closely that we develop spiritual maturity and we start living our lives the way he wants us to live our lives by loving even our enemy. Look at Romans chapter 5. He's not telling us to do something that he wouldn't do. We're to love even as he loved us. Such hope never disappoints or deludes, shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So in other words, we have the love of God in us. While we were yet... In weakness, powerless to help ourselves at the fitting time Christ died for in behalf of the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were yet sinners... Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. Wow. And you know what? We're all in that same category. He died for you. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. We're all sinners, right? He died for us when we were enemies, in other words, right? So did he love his enemy? Yeah, he loved all of us. What motivated him to do that? What drove him to do that? His love. It's hard to comprehend that kind of love. But that's the kind of love that God loved us with. Sacrificial love, the laying down of one's life, depleting himself of self, completely laying it all out. He's resting in that love, knowing that people would respond to it. He couldn't give himself. 
He couldn't give anything more than himself. That's what he's asking us to do. Think about that. Look in John 3, 16. You know the, the verse, but I want you to see the, the word. God so loved the world. The word love there is agapao in the Greek, and we get agape from that. And this is divine love. This is unconditional love, love that's based on principle and decision, not based on feeling and emotion only, but it's based on principle and decision. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so what motivated him was this agape love, this divine love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, we have that kind of love, but if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't recognize it, if we don't understand it, and if we don't see it, then you know what? That kind of love just becomes to us no different than the human love that we all experience in our lives. And let's say loving a family, loving a spouse, loving our child or whatever. But this is a love that transcends all that. You know, the Greek has different words for love. We talked about that many times. Eros is a lower base love. It's, a, it's really passion. It's sexual. It's physical. That's, it's, we understand. We get the word erotic from that. God, so that, that. That's what that love is. Then you got storge, which is more compatibility. And then you got phileo, which is a brotherly kind of love. And it's a responsive love. You give to me, I'll give to you. Uh, you, applaud, you applaud me, I'll applaud you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But if you holler at me, I'll holler at you. It turns into that. And so that kind of love is the highest form of natural human love. And as long as you're, like I said, scratching my back, I'll scratch yours. You ever hear this statement made by somebody that if you do a million things right for somebody, you're great. But if you do one thing wrong, that one thing cancels all the million. That one thing that you've done wrong, it cancels all, all the million, million things that you did right. Because you see, that's operating in the highest form of natural human love. But there's a higher form of love than that, and that's agape love. The love that God had, that God is love. And he is agape. And he deposited or exploded this love in our hearts when we got saved. And this explosion of love has its own meaning, has its own definition. And you know what? It's in there. How many know it can be in there, but you don't understand it? You could be in there, but you don't know what it is. Right. So he gave us uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He gives us a revelation of what this love is all about. This love endures long. It's patient. It's kind. It's never envious. It's never boasts of a jealousy. It's not boastful of vainglorious. It doesn't display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride, rude and manly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. This love in you doesn't allow you to assist on your own rights or ways. It's not self-seeking, touchy, fretful, resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Pays no attention to what suffered wrong. It doesn't rejoice in injustice or unrighteousness. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. It bears up under anything and everything comes. It's ever ready to believe the best about every person. Its hopes are failless. Every circumstance of light endures everything without weakening. It never fails, fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. It's the love of God. Well, thank you for all those ragu ingredients. It's in there. Did you get all that? See, it's in there. It's in there. It's in us. It's in you. It's in me. How can I love my enemy? That's the only way you can love your enemy, by understanding this kind of love. So agape goes beyond feelings and emotions. When I do wedding ceremonies, I make that very clear to people to let them know something. The moment you say I do, you've given up your right to ever say I don't love you. You've given that up. You realize that. Because you vowed your love to someone for the rest of his or her life. And one day when you come into an office, uh, maybe a counselor, and you say, I don't feel like I love him anymore. Feeling has nothing to do with it. When you bought your car and you went back uh, and they tried to repossess it and they came up to you and said, why didn't you pay for it? You said, I didn't feel like it. 
I'm sure the person, that, the collector that came to get your car said, I'm, oh, I didn't realize that. Keep the car. It's yours. Really? Wouldn't that be nice? You didn't feel like paying? You made a covenant. You signed a paper and ink and you said, I will make my payments. When you got married, you signed in blood. You vowed your life. You said that you would love someone for the rest of your life. Am I saying that there's not uh, biblical reasons uh, for a relationship to dissolve? And I'm not saying that. But it's important to know that you made a decision to love someone for the rest of his or her life. And guess what? And you need to do that. Because you made a covenant of blood to do so. And it's based on decision and principle, not feelings and emotions. So if the feelings aren't there any longer, you know what? Generate them. Resurrect them. Remember Jesus said to the church, I've got something against you that you walked away from your first love. Remember he said that? What did he say to do about it? Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember the place that you fell from. Repent for allowing it to get there. And then repeat, do the first works over. So a couple should do the same thing. Remember where you were when you were so in love with each other. Repent for allowing it to, dissolve, to get to a place that it degenerated. And then repeat, do the first works over to see to it that it's resurrected again. That's exactly what he's talking about. Well, guess what? It's easy for us to love those that love us. Jesus was saying it's easy to, to give to those that give to us and help those that help us. But he said, what about your enemy? If you really want to be like your father in heaven, start doing good to somebody who does bad to you. Start talking good about someone who talks bad about you. And pray for someone who despitefully uses and abuses you. Wow. Would you say that's a tall mandate? Would you say that you're uh, 100% developed in that? I know on your way to church, or you probably thought, who can I love that, I, that hates me? Who can I talk good about that hates me, right? No, I don't think so. Does that first person come into your mind at all? When people don't like you or they can't stand you, they hate you and whatever, they do terrible things about you. No, you kind of just walk away from it. But you know what? Every soul, as far as God is concerned, is valuable and important. Every soul. And maybe your walking in love will bring them to Christ. It's like pouring heaping coals of fire on a person's head when you do good to those that hate you. I remember one time, this was early in the days of my Christianity, I told some woman she was going to hell. It didn't go over too well. Not at all. Well, I was on fire for God. I just got saved. I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And I didn't want her to be lost. And I thought the best way to tell her is just, just flat out say it. You know, if you're not born again, you're going to go to hell. I don't recommend that in your class to teach on evangelism at all. But I did. That's what I did. Well, this person stopped talking to me. And didn't want to be around me. So what I, went out, what I did was I went out and bought a Bible. I bought a, back then there was no new living translation. So I bought a living translation of the living Bible. The living Bible. And I brought it over with a dozen roses. It was a family member. And I stuck it on the counter and left, went back home. And I just thank the Lord for touching this person's heart and touching her mind. Um, and you know what? I was able to lead her to Jesus. 
It took a little bit. But I was immediately forgiven. Her eyes were of understanding were in open, open and enlightened. And she realized that I wasn't just putting her down. I was concerned about her eternal well-being when I said that. I didn't understand. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So let's use that method rather than the other hellfire and brimstone method. And that would be a lot more successful. So walking in love, as it says, never fails is what really paid off. Look at the motivation here. Motivation, these, these scriptures are here to help us. You can look them up. Do a Bible study for yourself. Our motivation for us to walk in love, to live in the realm of love, and to do what? Overcome selfishness. We, we say we want more of God, but do we want less of self? Answer that honestly. We want more of God, but do we want less of self? Well, if we want more of God, we need less of self. Okay? Number one, it assures us of our salvation. Look at 1 John 3, 14, 15, New Living Translation. It assures of us. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates any brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that no murderers, ha don't, murderers don't have eternal life within them. That's pretty pointed, wouldn't you say? That's pretty direct, wouldn't you say? What was the acid test to determine whether or not uh, you, you're born of God? You love people. You've got love in your heart. When I first got saved, I'll tell you what, I was changed on the inside. I could never deny it. This love came in me. As the scripture says, it was shed abroad in my heart. It exploded within my heart. I love people. I love the world. I love the trees, the flowers, animals, everything else. You could look around and see what a difference it made in my life. I know I passed from death to life. Did you hear that? You passed from death to life already. You don't wait till you die to know. If you, if you wait till you die to know, you're going to be lost. So if you don't have love in your heart for other people, get saved. Number two, it shows we belong to the truth. Look at 1 John 3, 17 through 19, and this is A. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. So it shows we belong to the truth. You see, when we're moved with compassion for somebody who is in need, then it's once again showing that we identify with the truth. Look at number three. It gives us confidence before God. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. When we're walking in this realm of love and we're loving as he loved us, it gives us a confidence to stand before the throne of God. And then, and that leads to this next point. It helps us receive from God. Look at this next point. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Remember Jesus said, I do always those things that please you. When we take that step out of selfishness into the realm of love and we esteem others higher than ourselves and we put their needs up above our own very needs, then God sees that. And when he sees that, you know what he says? You can stand right here before my throne with boldness and confidence because you're walking in the truth. And so therefore your faith level rises. You see, faith works by love. 
faith is energized by love. If I want my faith to be affected, then I've got to walk in the realm of love and put others above myself. And that's one of the most difficult things anybody can possibly do. I'll be honest with you, if it wasn't for the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we would not be able to do it. But because we have this agape love, this divine love on the inside of us that drives us, that motivates us, we can love as he loved us. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do, to lay down our lives for one another. And then it keeps us in fellowship with God. Uh, look at this next one in verse 24, New Living Translation. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he, gives, he gave us lives in us. So we know that we're in fellowship with him when we walk in this realm of love. And then finally, agape divine love never fails. It never fails to cast out all fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. It never fails to see us through to victory. Look at what it says. in Philippi This is the Phillips translation, J.B. Phillips. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. So when a person chooses to identify with love, this love never fails. This love will usher us into victory in every area of our lives. This love will enable us to overcome. This is what pleases God. You know, once again, the just shall live by faith, but love energizes our faith. Faith works by love. Now, whether this is an individual or a church body of believers, the same thing is true. It holds to be true. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11. This is from the Holman uh, translation. Look at what it says. He personally gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning with cleverness and the teachings of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. From him the whole body fitly and fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Did you, did you see all that? What's the, what's the um, objective for the fivefold ministry? To get us to a place of spiritual maturity in Christ. That we become a living organism of love. So working together, just as the human body functions as God designed it, Every member of the body of Christ, every individual person takes his place, does her part, and in love creates a habitation for God, and then in love fulfills the Great Commission and reaching out to people that are in need. God's going to send people to a place where he is exalted, where he is magnified, where he is glorified, and where people are walking in love with each other and then loving the world by that same love. That's the atmosphere that God wants us to be brought into. You see, eternal life is all about knowing God. Look at John 17, verse 3. Eternal life. You have eternal life in you? Yes, you do. It's about knowing God. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Well, how do I know him? Look at 1 John chapter 4. We used to sing this song. You know, some of the songs way back when were really loaded with Scripture. They were loaded with Scripture. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Look at this. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Powerful statements here. If you don't love, then you don't know God. Did you get that? Notice this. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that, is, that love is, is born of God and knows God. Notice you could be born of God and not know God. See, God is love. You can be born of God. You've got the love of God in your heart, but you don't know him if you don't develop an understanding of what agape love is all about. So it's important that we all do our own personal study and find out what love is all about, how it conducts itself, how it speaks, how it acts. It's all about our conduct, our conversation, our character, our attitudes, and so on. And so when I see myself in the mirror of God's word and I basically line myself up to it, do I endure long? Am I patient and kind while I'm enduring? Am I envious? Am I jealous of other people and their successes in life? Do I want to be seen rather than have Christ seen in me? So what you do is you look at that and you make a decision to say, hey, I know God because I know love. And this is what love would do. You ever see where those, remember those braces? They were big. What would Jesus do? Right? Remember those braces? What would Jesus do? Well, you can say the same thing by saying, what would love do? What would love do? Because Jesus is love. Now, look at these, this next section here. We'll close here in a moment. Milk and meat. I believe that God is preparing us. I believe that all we're talking about in these 10 uh, things that represent the will of God for our lives is God preparing us to make a decision as to what we really want. Do we really want God in our midst? Do we want God glorified and magnified? Do we want to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to his will? You say, but you don't understand people that I'm, I'm, I'm around and all that, their personalities conflict and all that. I understand that. That's going to be true no matter where you go, where you go to work, where you live, where you go to church, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be the same thing. When a church comes together like this, you know what? It's not about individuals. I've got to. That's why cliques are formed. It's when people say that I'm to love you no matter what. Period. John Wooden. Everybody here, the coach John Wooden, who coached the UCLA teams to national championships and all that. Mm -hmm. He said one of the teams that he took to the national champ, they won a basketball national championship. He said it was a team where they really had a hard time getting along with each other's personality off the court. He said, but when they made a decision and they got on the court, you know what? They were so cohesive. They knew each other so well. They played together so well as a team that they won the national championship. When they got off the court, their personalities conflicted. And so maybe they didn't spend a whole lot of time together off the court. But when they got together as a team, you know, the body of Christ is a team. It doesn't mean everybody, once again, gets along with everybody's personality and that sort of thing. But you make a decision no matter what. As a team, we are going to give ourselves over completely to the work of God. We want to promote what God wants. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Lord of the church. And what we want is what God wants no matter what. And we're willing to lay down our lives to achieve that. And uh, notice this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brethren, I could not speak unto you as to spiritual. He's writing to a church that experienced the gifts of the Spirit. But as unto carnal, 
Now notice this next statement, even as unto babes, infants in Christ. Notice this, I have fed you with what? Milk, not with meat or solid food, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are you now able, for you are yet carnal or fleshly, controlled by the senses. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as, walk as what? Walk as men. So in other words, you're not walking as representatives of Christ, walking in love, but you're walking as men. There's a lot that he's making in this statement that he's making right here. He's saying a lot of things that are really, if you think about it, exposing their carnality and showing that they weren't maturing in Christ. Well, he had to feed him with meat, milk. Look at 1 Peter 2, 2. Paul was explaining spiritual growth by using natural growth to give us the illustration. And what he's saying is babies need milk. They don't start with meat or solid food. They need milk in order to progress. And at some point, they'll progress and leave the bottle and go on to uh, the, the meat or the solid food. Well, in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Well, the only problem with that was they weren't babes. They were not babes in Christ. And he said, I can't even feed you. I need to feed you milk and not solid food because even though you've been in the Lord for many, many years, you're, a, you're infants. You're still walking as mere men. There's envy, strife, division, etc., etc. among you. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. And as long as that condition exists, he said, then you're walking as people guided by their flesh. You're not spiritual. You're carnal. Look at this. For when the time... You ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of what? Milk and not strong meat. Hmm. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's talking about the milk drinkers, the legitimate bona fide Milk drinker is the one who was a babe in Christ. And then those that didn't go on and grow in their, in their experience in love and mature in the things of God, guess what? He said, I got to go back and still feed you milk again to get you to a place where maybe you can wise up. Look at that verse 14 again. A meat eater. Now, we're either a milk drinker or a meat eater. Be strong, but strong meat belongs to them who are what? Full age or mature. Even those who by reason of what? Use or exercise, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, he is talking about the fact that you got to get beyond the milk of the word to get to the meat of the word and have a good steak dinner once in a while. Where you could be taught truly the meat of your redemption so that you understand the depth of it. And yet we understand how we need to walk in love, set aside our personal differences and realize our need to come together as a body of believers and just say, you know what? We want God in our midst. We want God to manifest himself, his presence, his power, his glory. We want to set aside anything and everything else so that we can make a way, a highway for God to come in, move, and manifest him, his glory here among us. Notice he said it's by reason of use. It's by personal exercise. And if you can relate to personal exercise, anybody here ever hit the gym? Once in a while? 
all the time? Hit and miss, hit and, here and there? Bodily exercise profits for a little while, right? That means while you're in this body, it profits you. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So he's talking about just as we were to exercise ourselves physically, we need to exercise ourselves spiritually. So why? So that we can conform to the image of Jesus and we can allow love to dominate our lives. It's going to take exercise. It's going to take practice. It's going to take repetition in our lives, just like it happens to do physically. So it's important that what we do is we get a hold of that love chapter. Wish I had time to go over the whole thing, but I endure long, I'm patient and kind while I'm enduring. Can we honestly say, yes, that's how I am. That's my part of my character, my personality. That's what I do. I'm never envious and I never boil over with jealousy. So if someone else is blessed, I'm not jealous over their being blessed. As a matter of fact, I rejoice in the fact that they're being blessed. You go over that chapter and you start looking at it and start saying to yourself, is that me or is that not me? Do I yield myself to You realize that anybody could take this book and set it aside and just say, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life, act the way I want to act, do what I want to do. Anybody can do that, right? I'm just going to treat it as religion. Just, I'm going to read a chapter, put the, put the book down. Hey, I read a chapter today. Wonderful. What did you get out of it? Uh, I forget what I read. Let me wait a minute. Let me see. What did it speak to your heart? How did it change your life? Did it challenge you to love your enemy? Can you imagine if we just started right there, start, start getting a list out? That'll sink in in just a moment. You've got a list of people that are against <laughs> your enemy. <laughs> and then start writing them down. Would you reach out to them? Would you do good to them? Would you pray for them? That despitefully use and abuse you? Would you speak well of those that speak evil of you? Write it down. And then start, like I said, judging yourself, or doing a self-examination. Look at the, let's close with this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 through 17 from the New Living Translation of the Bible. I want us to be challenged this morning. I want us to get to a place that we say, we're not just coming here just to play church. I'm not living my Christian life just to play church. It may be a big challenge when I go to work and that person is so annoying next to me, but I realize who I am in Christ and I realize the greater one lives in me and no matter how annoying that person is going to possibly be that day, I'm still going to do something to demonstrate the love of God toward that person. Someone says, really? Yeah, there was a guy when, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth, someone had died and they were at a funeral and there was not one good word anybody could say about this individual who died. And they thought they were really going to get him because he was a monster. He was evil from every, any way you could imagine it. And so they looked at Wigglesworth and said to him, what do you got to say about this one? He said he sure had nice teeth. <laughs> he believed the best about every person. Look at these verses. For only some of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many will? Everybody say all. Oh. Oh. And that means me. <laughs> we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. 
Because we understand our fearful responsibility. Don't let that word fearful get out of there. Our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. So that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry. Rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy or beside ourselves, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Let me say that again. Christ's love controls us. It drives us. It motivates us. It moves us. It's the force behind all that we do. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So we should know no man after the flesh is what he's saying. It's not about their shortcomings, their faults, their failures. Because you see, we don't have any, but they do. Right? They do. No, no, that's not it. Paul was saying this. They think we're beside ourselves. They think we're crazy. Why? Because we're walking in love. It seems like they're walking all over us. But you know what? They're not going to walk all over us. Because one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what? Christ will not think that we were crazy for walking in love towards the ones he saved and washed in his blood. Even though their outward personality, maybe even some of the things about them you find annoying or whatever. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we love all people the way he loved us. And we look beyond our faults, our shortcomings, our failures and all that. And you know what? We say, let God be the judge. Let God be the one to change people's lives. Not me, not you. Just love on them. It's the goodness of God that leads people uh, to what? Repentance. Praise God. It's that. And so God wants us to be transformed and changed from the inside out and walk in this realm of his love. Which, beloved, as far as I'm concerned, is the tallest order he has ever given any of us. How about this? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know what that means? We should be so humbled by that statement. We should be on our faces before God and just say, you know what, Lord, transform me from the inside out. I got, he's got a lot of work to do with me. I don't know about you. Does he have any work to do with you? Anything at all? You know? Right. Right? Anyone around us. We should forget everybody else. Look within yourself. In myself. Praise God. Change me, Lord. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Change.